And now, would you please join me in the fog light prayer? And if you don't know what it is, it's on the screen right here for you. So, God, God let your love shine through me like all light, so those who are There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries for those who suffer from alcoholism. Uh, Today, I've asked Audrey to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. And we read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what it is. Spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of a sudden and spectacular upheaval. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God-consciousness followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few, expectation, with few exceptions, our members find they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer, Alcoholics Anonymous, page 567-568. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane meeting mode or just turn them off. Um, I'm very grateful uh, to be up here to introduce Bobby for her second week with us. Um, 
I know a lot of you are excited to hear her message, and I am as well. So with that, let's get to it. Here's Bobby. I'm here. Hi, everybody. I'm an alcoholic, and my name is Bobby. Bobby. And um, the meeting started off interesting. Who put this fake $100 bill down here? <laughs> Who did it? I know you guys are watching me. <clears throat> I was like, I was like, inventorying my integrity. I'm like, do I get up there and slide it under and grab it? No, I'm not dumb. I can tell it's fake from far away. <laughs> but you know, I did have to come check it out real quick. Just double check. Uh, anyway, thank you guys for having me here. Uh, last week was awesome. I have no idea what I said. I think it pertained to step one, at least I hope so. But I'm super always excited about week two and three because they are my absolute favorite steps. It is the reason why I stayed sober. It is the reason why I have a life worth living. It is the reason I even exist in this world. And so with that, I am super excited about this step. So just in case anybody doesn't know, I don't think we have them up in here. Step two is came to believe in a power greater than ourselves to restore us to sanity. Oh, wow. (laughs) 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 So I, okay, whatever. I'm like looking for a whole list of them. You know, Mike is so like techie. Um, But anyways, (laughs) came to believe in a power greater than ourselves to restore us to sanity We haven't heard the word God yet in this step, right? But don't worry, it's coming. And after it comes, it's never going to stop. And people are going to get offended. And I am so sorry if I hurt your feelings, but I will never be sorry about talking of what God has done to my life. I'm actually writing my story right now for a different fellowship. You actually have to write it out and read it at the podium, which is super weird if you ask me. But that's what you do. And I was, as a result of that, I was really digging deep into my story. And I was just feeling that feeling once again. And it's not the first, it won't be the last of how grateful I am to have been chosen by God himself to actually not only recover from alcoholism, but many other things in my life, but more importantly, to be of service to him. I feel like a child of God. I feel like I have been literally graced with the opportunity to be a part of his family. For what? I did not even ask for this life. I was not one of those people who went on her knees and said, God, please I, get me out of this. I'll do anything for you. I didn't even know what a fox hole prayer was. <laughs> I know somebody in here knows what that is. I didn't even know what that was. That's not my story. In fact, when I came in here, I had never prayed before in my entire life. Literally, I'm not like not even joking. I might have said something along the lines of, oh, God, get us out of this one. But I wasn't even thinking that it was a prayer. Those were just words that I put together that I've heard other people say before. So when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, I literally came in here from the power of God doing for me what I could not do for myself. Um, people ask me, do you think other people were praying for you? Yeah, I do. I, I, think, I think Alcoholics Anonymous as a whole was praying for me in every city, in every state, in every country, all over the entire world. That's how important I am. 
as long as they started a meeting or ended a meeting and the moment of silence for the sick and suffering alcoholic inside and outside of this room, they were praying for people like me. And, you know, after I've done a little research, come to find out God actually picks people like me all the time. He picks the ones that are suffering, who have illness, who have been maladjusted to life, that are full of defects of character, also known as shortcomings, nationally known as sin. He picks people like that because then he transforms us in a way that can only be described miraculous. And when other people can see the transformation in you, it is attractive. That's why one of our, you know, very famous lines in Alcoholics Anonymous state that this is a program of attraction and not promotion. We don't need to stand on the corner holding up a sign saying, come join us. We don't need to because dozens and hundreds and thousands of people on our journey have seen the transformation in us. I mean, a lot of us in here were not only addicted to drugs and alcohol, but we lived a very risky life. A lot of us were homeless, criminals. We've done county jail time. We've done prison time. We've been prostitutes. We've encountered a lot of really heavy, dark, evil stuff. And we've hurt lots of people on the journey. There's been bystanders that just watched our life deteriorate, and they probably just shook their head and said, I don't understand why they are like that. We've had children, and we've had children's friends and families shake their head and think, I don't understand why they do that. And then one day, they see a completely different person that can only be an act of God. And why is this my favorite step? Because my story is not as common as a lot of people who come into AA, I actually feel very blessed for my specific story. When I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, I knew nothing about God. I was 27 years old. I had three children already. I had a 10-year-old, a 5-year-old, and a 5-month-old. I, you know, 27 years old, I felt like I'd lived a lifetime already. I've been to every kind of bottom you can think of at this point, except for death. And I had come close to it many times. But here I was in a room full of men and women that were telling me that the solution to my problem ultimately was going to be my relationship with God. And I had never known God before. And I thought to myself, I have a disadvantage. All of these people are going to pass the test. All of these people have a great head start. But I kept coming back. I kept hearing the message over and over. I kept reading the literature. Things began to click. And one day, at some point on my journey, I realized that me not knowing anything about God was in fact an asset and not a liability. In fact, I was ahead of the game, not behind the game. Because what I discovered is that people who came into Alcoholics Anonymous, they had been raised with God. They went to uh, private schools. Their parents brought them to Sunday school. They attended kids' church as young kids. They knew the Bible inside and out. They They can cite scripture 
tell you exactly where it's located in the Bible, but they were still getting drunk. They were still getting high. And when they came into Alcoholics Anonymous and we said, we're going to introduce you to a God of your understanding, they closed their ears. Whatever they had known about God was stuck, blindfolding them from anything else that could be possibly productive for their spiritual walk. And I don't say it because I think God is a tree or a a door handle or any of those things. You want to know what I believe God is? He is the almighty heavenly father. He is everything or he is absolutely nothing. It says it in our literature, those words. I didn't make that stuff up. But here I am to tell you that whatever you knew coming into Alcoholics Anonymous, throw your conceptions out the window. Doesn't mean that they're wrong and they're bad or anything, but we want you just to set them over here. We will allow you to pick them up when you're stable in your foundation of recovery. Because there's people who know everything there is to know about everything there is to know, and that's the absolute thing that's killing them. Or maybe they have a resentment with God. Maybe they think God has turned their back on them. Maybe they think they have this punishing, unforgiving God, and all of those things are going to prevent them from moving forward in this journey of recovery. I'm here to tell you guys, it's going to hurt somebody's feelings, but I am not making this stuff up. It says it in our book, in We Agnostics, in the very first page, that if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit drinking entirely, or if when drinking, you find you have little control over the amount you take, that you are suffering from an illness called alcoholism. And let me rephrase that for people who need it dumbed down like me. If when you honestly want to, you find that you can't stop starting... Or if once you decide to pick up something, you always have more than you say you're going to have. If you say yes to either one of those two questions, and you may be suffering from an illness called alcoholism, which was described last week. And if you have that illness called alcoholism, which is physical, mental, and spiritual, then you are suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. I said it last week. I'm going to say it again. It did not say in there that you're suffering from an illness, which three months of PHP followed by 60 days of IOP followed by 30 days of OP followed by six months of sober living followed by reunification of your spouse and children. It does not say that it doesn't say that you're suffering from an illness, which only the hottest girl in the room on your shoulder a phone room job making $1,500 cash money a week, a brand new pair of Jordans and a fresh car. It doesn't say that. Actually, what it says is that if you're suffering from this illness, you're suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. They read a spiritual experience out of the appendix, page 567, up here tonight. You probably weren't fully listening, and that's okay because we're all thinking about ourselves when we get in here. Read it later on today when you get home. The common thing you're going to see with that chapter, it's one and a half pages long, is change. I was taught that 
Nothing changes if nothing changes. I know that's deep. But what that means to try and keep it simple for you is that if you continue to act, behave, perceive, have the same attitude in the decision-making that you have had prior to walking in here today, you are going to always get the same results. Forget about drinking and drugging. Put that aside for a minute. I'm talking about everything. The way you react, respond, perceive your attitude towards your spouse, your coworkers, your neighbors, and your children. Your decision makings on what you watch in TV, how you drive in the car, what you choose to buy at the grocery store. If nothing changes and nothing changes, that goes in all walks of life moving forward after you picked up a white chip in Alcoholics Anonymous. Because guess what, guys? Surprise. A drink and a drug were just a symptom of a much deeper illness. A much deeper illness. Same chapter, we agnostics, second page, top paragraph says, lack of power was our dilemma. We had to find a power that was going to solve our problem. Another hint for you, alcohol and drugs are not the problem. Seriously. Alcohol and drugs were never my problem. Those things, drugs, alcohol, men, money, sex, prosperity, attention, I don't know, gambling, whatever floats your boat, none of those things are a problem. These are called solutions. The problem is me. It's my attitude. It's the way that I perceive the world. It's my belief and value system. It's the way that I react and respond to people and situations. It's always me. Alcohol and drugs had become a solution. And guess what, guys? Sorry to admit, it worked. Drugs and alcohol are always going to work. But here's the bad news. It only works for a very short period of time. Five minutes, five hours, five days, maybe five weeks if you're lucky. Eventually, you're going to build a tolerance for it, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, or physically. It's no longer going to work for you. Now you're using or drinking or whatever it is that you have to do to consume this as a full-time job. You're never going to get the effect you got when you first started to take it. Now you're using to live and living to use. And guess what? You still got the problem, but now it's 10 times worse because your solution turned its back on you and has created a whole nother list of problems. So if alcohol and drugs aggravate the problem, there's only one solution to that. Complete abstinence from all mind and mood altering drugs and alcohol. It works but only for the physical component of this illness. We're here tonight to talk about the crux of the problem. It is the core of the problem. Because if the physical component was actually our problem, all we had to do was stop doing it. It would be over. I got a problem with food again lately, guys. Literally, like, where'd you come from? Hello. So... If, if I was on a health journey for two years, everything was going great. The food could have never been a problem to begin with. It was here. It's this. It's this. 
Um, here's a really unfortunate thing we learn in Alcoholics Anonymous, that no human power can re- relieve us of this problem either. That sucks. Because I got kids. I got five of them. And I like them. And I'll probably die for some of them. (laughs) Literally. Um, But guess what? I had my kids removed from my custody six times until my rights as a mother here in the state of Florida were terminated. Kids could not get me sober. Actually, they could probably get me sober. They can't keep me sober. They're great motivators. But guess what? We build a tolerance for them, too. They stop working. And no human being can do it. That means the judge, the probation officer, the spouse, the mom and dad, your close friends, none of them have a power to do it. The therapist, the psychiatrist, the doctor with all the medications, they could be helpful. But ultimately, they are not going to do it. Why? Because no human power could relieve us of this symptom. It had to be a power greater than ourselves. And the book says, and that means we are going to talk about God. Capital G-O-D. That's some deep stuff, guys. That's scary. That'll scare a person right back out into drinking. We're going to pray for them. Because the almighty heavenly father above all is much more powerful than any drug, any alcohol, any human being here on earth. So when I came in here, I did not have a liability. In fact, I had the most beautiful asset on my side. I discovered early in my life, I know the the medical field calls it, Uh, The medical and the psychological field calls it anxiety. Um, I do live with a diagnosis of anxiety. I've had it my whole entire life. But I had such an extreme impending doom in the pit of my stomach way before I picked up a drink and a drug. Way before I picked up a drink and a drug. In fact, I would identify with being a little psychic. Why? Because I would say to myself, ooh, I got a feeling something bad is going to happen today. And if you lived the life I lived, something definitely was going to happen that was bad. I was bad luck Bobby. When I tell you I got a freaking nail on my tire all the time, I don't even know where nails were coming from, but I lost tires left and right because I would run over nails. I always had car issues. I was always in trouble at work. I could never get down to the methadone clinic and pick up what I needed and get to work on time. My FPNL company would shut off my electricity. Food stamps would never re-up my card. Always something going on in my life. Since as young as I can possibly remember. And on this journey, with all this impending doom sitting in the pit of my stomach, I found things through this walk of life that helped feel better. And I talked about that. The solutions, they work. I remember being in the second grade and having a crush on a boy in elementary school. That was the first sign that I was going to start seeking external things to fix the inside of me. So the crush of the week would be the only reason why I would get up and go to school. Because I literally hated school with a passion. 
I hated everything about it, and anybody that was near me knew I hated it. I caused problems, so I would get kicked out and be sent to the principal's office. I would rather be sitting in the principal's office on a chair in the corner by myself the whole day than to be in a classroom trying to learn. That's how bad it was for me. So having a crush on a boy fixed the problem. That severe discontentment that I would get going into school would feel like I was having some kind of resolve. So I'd go to school. I'd flirt, send notes, kiki. He'd show me a little attention back. Done with him. <laughs> Let me take a look around. Who's next? Who's cuter? Who's a shinier? There he is. I'll have a crush on him this week. And I would do that. Eventually, you know what happened? I grew tolerant from the attention that little boys gave me. And I moved on to fancier things. Attention in the negative sense from authority. I loved it. I was the class clown. I was going to go to school. I was going to make a big scene in class every day. I was going to get in trouble. Everybody was going to laugh at me. They were going to think that I was the coolest kid in the classroom. And indeed, I was. And I did that for a period of time. And you know what they do with kids like that? They put them in these groups called dropout prevention. Now, school was starting to get fun. Because I was in a room with a bunch of other kids that were just like me, if not worse. That's where drugs, alcohol, and fighting, violence, and all kinds of criminal activity began before the fourth grade. Stealing at the local gas stations or the pharmacies. First it was candy, then it was makeup, eventually it was cigarettes, because back then they used to keep cigarettes on a spinning... uh, thing. And I loved the way I felt, but eventually I grew tolerant of it again, always needing more to fill the hole inside of my soul. You know, as I got a little bit older, I used to tell my mom I was sleeping at so-and-so's house. I lived in a really, really terrible neighborhood here, actually not far from here. It was a trailer park. Do I need to say more? But We would do things in that neighborhood that were crazy. If I think about my kids that age doing it, it's just mind-blowing. But I would tell my mom, I'm sleeping out. And my friend's mom, we would tell her that she was sleeping at my house. And we would stay awake all night long. We would smoke cigarettes, drink alcohol, run the streets. And all of that was working for a period of time. Eventually, I grew tolerant of that, too. This cycle never got better. It always got worse. Here I was, 27 years old, in Alcoholics Anonymous, for the first time in my life, fully surrendering drugs and alcohol. And it wasn't because when I walked in, I was like, praise God, praise God, he saved me, he took me out of that terrible pit of hell, I'm willing to do anything I have to, praise God. That's not my story. My story is, well, got the last kid removed. I got nowhere to sleep tonight. No food, no clothes, no money. Boyfriend's in prison, nowhere to go. Oh, you'll let me sleep on your couch tonight at this so-called halfway house? Sure, why not? And what's crazy is literally God was doing for me what I could not do for myself. 
One week turned into um, three weeks. Three weeks turned into two months. Two months turned into three months. And at some point on that grace period that God began to give me, I started to truthfully desire the love of God. All because I came into the room, Alcoholics Anonymous, and I heard people talking about him over and over and over and over and over. When they say, don't pick up and keep coming back, do 90 meetings in 90 days, you have no idea what the power repetition can do for your life. My sponsor said, it's time for you to start praying on your knees in your halfway house. And I was like, listen, I'm new at this and I don't really know how to pray. And I certainly am not getting on my knees in a halfway house. (laughs) There's 10 women that live there. Somebody will witness this. I mean, no way. And she said, well, um, uh, um, that sounds really silly. I said, why? She said, well, I mean, do we want to talk about the things you've done on your knees? I was like, wow, that's rude. (laughs) But she was right. I mean, all the years I had done some really tragic things on my knees to get five bucks. But here I was talking about being humiliated to get on my knees to ask God to keep me sober. Like, wow. I didn't even know why I was embarrassed to do that until later. Because I had this subtle feeling that it was a sign of weakness if anybody were to witness me praying on my knees. Because again, I didn't know anything. I did not know anything, although I thought I did. So here I was, I was in halfway, and I'm like, oh gosh, I'm really into the sobriety thing. I'm feeling super good. I actually have a strong desire to know if God exists that came, that just came to me. And I was preparing to get on my knees. I had a roommate, her name is Amy. She had just come home from work. I was waiting patiently for her to take her shower material, get into the shower so I can get on my knees. She gets all her stuff. Soon as she leaves the bedroom and turns on the shower, I hear it. Bathroom door shuts. Perfect timing. I jump on my knees real quick. I'm like, okay, I'm going to say a third step prayer. And I started to say it. And then the door opened up. And I was like, And she was like, I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. Thinking in my head, but of course, you know, I'm going to act cool. Just be cool. Be cool. And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm just praying, you know, like that's what my sponsor told me to do. That's what you do in Alcoholics Anonymous. Like, cause I'm doing everything, you know? And she's like, yeah, I know. I've been doing that. And I'm like, really? I never saw you. She's like, yeah, I know. Well, we were just on different schedules. I was like, Yeah. Right. So uh, I guess I'll wait for you then to get out of the shower. We could do this together. And she's like, yeah, that'll be cool. I'm like, okay. So then I sat awkwardly on the end of my bed, tapping my foot for about 20 minutes. (laughs) So uncomfortable. I was like, oh my God, this is the worst. (laughs) Finally, she comes out. She's all dressed and she's like, okay, well, where do you want to do this at? And I'm like, I don't know, over here somewhere next to my bed. So she gets next to me on my bed on the floor, and I open up the the big book to the third step prayer. And I said, let's just say this out loud. And we did it. The very next morning, because we were not on different schedules, we woke up, had a cup of coffee, and I said, I'm going to pray again. Do you want to pray with me? And she said, yeah. And so 
a couple days had passed and we were praying every morning and every night. We had a house full of 10 women, five bedrooms, and in a very short period of time, I wish I could tell you the days, every single woman in that house was praying with us in the morning and at night. We learned the third and seventh step prayer. Um, after prayer, we would always go outside, have coffee and smoke cigarettes and drink our daily, ref- drink, read our daily reflections, read pages <laughs> 86, 87, 88. And um, it became probably one of the best halfway houses on that block. I mean, it was the best halfway house on the block, if you ask me. But because that whole halfway house block was Ninth Court and Pompano right by the 101 Club, um, they were all related, same owner. Eventually, girls started to come in from those houses and pray with us in the morning, pray with us at night, read Daily Reflections, 86, 87, 88. It became a regular occurrence. I lived there for nine months doing that. I ended up moving out, getting my own place, and coming back to that halfway house for a year and reading and praying with those girls. And praying no longer was humiliating to me. At some point in that process, I recognized that praying was actually a strength and that it made me feel not only closer to God, but it made me feel closer to his children. And I began at some point not caring anymore what people thought about me when it came to God. And that was a big relief because that was uncomfortable to feel humiliated, even if it was a short period of time, in regards to something I was told is the solution to your problem. So I went on with my, um, my journey, and you, my understanding of God continued to grow. I, I had no idea what God had in store for my life. It was profound. I do believe that God has his way with you in a very unique individual way. He knows each and every one of you more than you even know yourself. I believe that God knows your heart all day, every day. Even if you're not even really too sure what's going on in your heart, he knows. So his story for you may look, it will look very different from somebody else. And the way he worked in my life for me was so profound that I went from feeling like a girl who did not know what she did not know. But I did believe that when I was ready to know, he was going to reveal himself to me in a way that I cannot deny. And he did. And as a result of that, my life had never, has never been the same. But I always like to say this because it's so true that now that I know, I can no longer plead ignorant. You hear the words, as you stay sober, the road becomes more narrow. I really truthfully understand that saying to the core of my spirit. Because the things that I used to do, the way that I used to live in year one, changed in year two, drastically changed in year five. It drastically, drastically changed in year seven. It drastically changed in year 10, so on and so forth. And only by the grace of God, if I don't pick up a drink and a drug, 
this November, I'll have 16 years of drastic changes. And sometimes changes are not comfortable. Sometimes I wish I could just behave certain ways and not care. But I do care because God gave me a conscience. I believe that God lives inside of us. He resides there for a reason. What I've learned recently, and I used to say this all the time, is that we're all God's children. But I've realized recent days that we're not so. Not all of us are. God gives each and every single one of us a grace period here in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm sure you've heard the saying that AA is a spiritual kindergarten. This is where you learn how to walk. Once you start walking, you're going to get wings. So be ready to fly. He is going to indeed make you want to be more like him. And being more like him is going to be what narrows your road. And you're going to want to surround yourself with like-minded people who are not only going to love you and to lift you up, but that also have a strong desire to be more like him. It's not about I'm better than. It's not about I'm worse than. It's that I know God has given me life and I better do what he wants me to do with it. So I had a spiritual experience. We read it in the book right here at this podium before the meeting started. Everybody's story is slightly different. Some people have what they call a spiritual experience. Some people have what's called an awakening. Some we would call it an entire psychic change. Some we would call a personality change. In some cases we call it God consciousness. What I had happen to me was profound. I loved my life. I was really digging Alcoholics Anonymous. I became an active member. I had a lot of fun. And I really truthfully, from the bottom of my heart, and God knew it, wanted to know if he was real. I prayed on my knees in the morning. I prayed on them at night. I asked for sobriety, and I thanked him every day. And for whatever reason, without history of a relationship with him, I knew that he was doing for me what I could not do for myself. And one day, after feeling good and not feeling that impending doom in the pit of my stomach for many months, all of a sudden, I got home from work. I was in the shower, and this feeling of ick returned. I felt like something bad was going to happen. And I thought to myself, what in the heck is that? Why are you here? I've been sober for five months. I feel amazing. I love this journey. I believe in God. Why would I feel like this now? So I brought it to the meeting and I shared and I shared and I overshared. I was in a program called AWOL where a group of women and men get together and go through the big book, 12 and 12, and the little red book. And I shared, and I shared, and I overshared. And the chair lady there told me that I was analyzing, and that I needed to cut it out, and that I was human. Just like, stop analyzing and just believe. And I went home and really picked that apart, because I guess I really was an overanalyzer. (laughs) 
um, I've discovered on the journey that God has made us very unique. Don't let me get off track here, but this is important. Uh, he makes us very unique. And the way that my brain operates is not, I thought everybody did like operated like me, but they don't come to find out it's a big distraction in relationships. But so if I don't understand something, I will pick it to freaking pieces until I fully comprehend it. And then once I understand it, I will be able to relay that information to the next human being in a way that is undeniable. I didn't know it was an asset then, but it sure was a liability to my growth in that moment. So she told me, stop analyzing and just believe. So I didn't know what was about to happen to me. I was asking myself, is it my sponsor? Did I do the steps incorrectly? Is it my people that I hang out with? Is it this halfway house? Is it my job? What am I doing wrong? Am I praying incorrectly? Should I be on one knee and not two knees? Like I was really getting in on it. <laughs> so after getting all those tips from people in Alcoholics Anonymous and that lady in my AWOL group, somehow, way, I just let it go. This is the story of my life many times since I've come into recovery. I don't wake up one day and say, I'm going to let this thing go and it's going to be great. And then I do it. (laughs) It doesn't work like that. Like I have to like really mess around with it for a while. And when I finally let it go, it's because I didn't even know I'm letting it go. It got kind of gets like brushed under the carpet or whatever on accident. But every time I internally let something go, God shows up soon as it's out of the forefront of my mind. And I had a spiritual experience on a very specific night around five months sober at a coffee shop. I'm not going to tell you the specifics of that event. Actually, yes, I am, because I just realized we still have 15 minutes. Um, I'm at a coffee shop. Picture this. It's called Boomerangs on McNabb and 18th in Pompano. It's like a mom and pop coffee shop. They sold every kind of latte, cappuccino, frappuccino, hot cold, all kinds of coffee, but they also sold monsters and Red Bulls and all the fun stuff. That's where people in recovery hung out on the weekends. So here I was with all my girls from halfway. One of the people who come there and perform live music is my roommate. So I'm there supporting her. We're having a great time loving and talking and just enjoying life without a drink and a drug. I felt on top of the world, which I had been feeling often. So we all go outside for a cigarette break and I'm drinking my coffee, smoking my cigarette, having a good conversation with a friend of mine. He pulls out these pennies. He starts throwing them on the table. And I said, what are you doing? He says, well, you take five pennies, you ask a question And then you shake them up in your hand and you toss them on the table. More heads up equals a yes. More heads down equals a no. Do you want to play? I said, sure, why not? Let me see them. So we're playing, asking stupid questions and whatnot. Having a good time laughing. In the midst of our game playing, two more people come out that are still a part of my life today. So the four of us are now playing. We're having so much fun. What a stupid thing to do on a Saturday night as a grown adult, right? (laughs) But it was like, you know, innocent and pure and, and just light and gentle. And I just knew that I was okay and that, um, I was supposed to be there, you know, sobriety had been waiting for me a long time 
And so there I was, and I can hear music in the background shut off. I look in the window. She's putting her guitar down, which prompted 20, 30 people to come out of the coffee shop into the area where everybody was hanging out, smoking, drink coffee. And they all came out there, and I'm just all smiles from ear to ear, super happy about life. And I realize I've been holding on to those pennies the whole time. And I opened them up and I said, is this it? I closed them. I shook them up and threw them on the table. And every single penny was a heads up. Everyone. Statistically, that's hard. (laughs) Mind you, nobody's involved. (laughs) Everybody's talking. I'm in my own bubble right now. And I looked at those pennies and thought to myself, oh my God. And I lifted my head up and something happened to me in that moment. I had the most powerful feeling of energy go right into the top of my head, all the way through my body, out of my feet. I felt amazing. I felt as though my life had just literally flashed before my eyes. I felt that I was exactly where I was supposed to be on that moment, on that day with that group of people. And I knew on that moment that God exists. I have yet, and it's been a long many years, to doubt of his existence. That whole week had transformed for me. You'll hear people say this happens. Do not think that it has to happen this way for you. In fact, the spiritual experience says that the the idea of it having to happen like this is erroneous. It's not necessarily the case for people, but it does happen to a lot of people. That entire week, I felt free. My skin was beautiful. My hair was like gentle and light and soft. The the wind felt good on my face. The oxygen in my lungs was different. The skies were bluer. The grass was greener. People looked and I felt love for them. I mean, unbelievable for a whole entire week. And I was talking about it with my sponsor repeatedly she thought I was freaking nuts. Um, she clearly did not have a spiritual experience like that. So um, guess what, guys? That dies down. But it is amazing. And if it's anything like it was for me, it's enough motivation to make you want to do anything you can do to be closer to him every single day. So to wrap this up, I like to say that if you can put into your mind right now, if you were to stay sober for five more years, what would you want in life out of sobriety for five years? I know a lot of you guys are having some flashes of what that could look like. What I was taught is that whatever came to mind you are 100% shortchanging yourself. Because the truth is that you don't really truly know what you want until God begins to give it to you. And once he begins to give it to you, you're like, wow, 
This is so much better than anything that I would have ever wanted. The absolute golden gift that I've received since I've been in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I got stuff, guys. I got some cool stuff. I got a really good-looking husband who's 11 years younger than me. I like to always mention that. (laughs) We own two cars. We own two businesses. We have amazing children. We have lots of friends. We have a beautiful house with a pool. All the neighborhood kids hang out at our house. We have an amazing life. And you would probably think that that is what the best thing that happened to me was. But it is so far from the truth. The absolute best thing that I've gotten in Alcoholics Anonymous is that I know for a fact that God exists and he is never, ever going to leave my side. So with that being said, thank you guys for letting me share. That was pretty awesome. Thank you, Bobby. That was great. One more round of applause, please. And now we have our secretary's report. Here is David. Hi, my name is David, and I am your recovered alcoholic secretary. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. There are also QR codes on the back of some of the chairs if you want to contribute through Venmo. And uh, if you're joining us on Zoom, there's a QR code on your screen as well if you'd like to contribute. Um, And while we are doing that, um, I have asked Jose to come up and read the recovered statement. Jose? Hello, Jose Alcoholic. Hello, Jose. Um, Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The the allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. Page 23. We are now saying where alcohol is concerned, concentrate. Consequently, we have recovered. Nineteen forty style big book sponsorship from the forward to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Is there anyone in the room who needs a sponsor? 
Okay, um, uh, if you'd like, uh, come to the front of the room at the end of the meeting, stand by the piano, and someone will come over and speak with you. Thank you. Um, can I have a show of hands of recovered alcoholics? Okay, if your hand is not raised, uh, we suggest that you make an attempt to hang out with those who are, whose hands are. Okay, uh, Broward County Intergroup uh, is where you buy uh, AA-related literature and medallions. Intergroup is also responsible for creating our where and when and, and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and visit them. Uh, Broward County Institutions Committee is responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us can't get out to an AA meeting, such as jails, detoxes, and rehabs. They meet monthly. I think it's the second Saturday of every month at 10 a.m. Uh, to organize the meeting schedules at the 12-step house. Do we have any BCIC members uh, present? Okay, so if you're interested, you can talk to those people. Next, uh, volunteer opportunities. Your intergroup office is planning to have a presence at the Big Book Sem Seminar in Boca held on Mother's Day weekend um, again. And there it is. Uh, Boca Raton Marriott at Boca Center, Mother's Day weekend, May 11th, which I think is a Thursday uh, through the 14th. And by the way, I think it ends at about noon on Sunday. So if you're planning, you know, if you're worried about Mother's Day, it probably shouldn't get in the way. Thanks. Hope Fest 2023. Uh, tickets at the door are $15, um, but I don't really know what that is. Uh, so... Uh, Bobby, Bobby can elaborate. Okay, so... I mean, we expect our first year doing this, I had 2,000 people there in the parking lot at the 101 Club. So it is fun. It is so fun. So please come. Awesome. Thanks, Bobby. Um, and, you know, please join us on Mondays. Uh, we have a big book study meeting uh, here in this room. Uh, it's a great meeting, and we're still at the beginning of the book, and we'd love to have you join us. Um, thank you. So, we have tonight's session and all previous sessions, well, last week's, uh, online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. Um, I'd also like to invite everybody to our big book study on Monday night. It's wonderful. We just, uh, I think we're, we're getting ready to start Bill's story, so we're right in the beginning of the book. So it's a good time to come and hang out with us. Um, those who'd like to thank Bobby, please line up down the center aisle after this, and I think we have a good way of closing. Who will bring us from shame to grace? Our, our Father, who art in heaven.
desperately in need of restoration. Yeah. And I am ready for you to take me higher. Yeah. The only thing that I can do is keep on praying.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Turn each way, flowers blooming all the time. 
God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Take. Got one man that just won't send me. 